This podcast is brought to you by the anchovy, the pepperoni of the fish kingdom. It's a shame that these beautiful little fish have been reduced to a pizza topping. They school in massive groups, opening their mouths to consume food, but it looks as if they are yawning. Maybe they're bored. We're sorry to bore you, anchovy. You are truly beautiful creatures. Cheers to you, anchovy. Hello, my fishy friends, and welcome to another exciting episode of the Getting Fishing With It podcast. Hello. I'm Josh. I'm Amber. I'm Christine. And today we have another great episode for you on staffing and compensation of aquatics technicians with our special guest, Dr. Raphael Malbrew. Hello, Ralph. Hello, hello. Hello. How's everybody doing? He's the attending veterinarian at UVA. Thank you so much for joining us. I can't wait to chat about this topic. Oh, yeah, it's yeah. going to be good. So before we uh, get into the topic uh, that uh, Dr. Malbrew is going to talk about, uh, we'll first just get, see how everyone's week or weeks have been going. So, Amber, would you like to start? Yeah, my week has been going pretty good. I'm still not quite <laughs> like I came back to work, you know, from <laughs> our long break. And I had gone to a conference in Seattle, um, mostly on like sharks. So that was really cool and got to hang out with a lot of friends and go hiking and stuff. But then I came back and I was like, how do I do my job again? So <laughs> I am I feel like I'm nearing the end where I'm just like, okay, I'm like reacclimated now, but still mm. trying to get into the swing of things. And especially with our PIs, they're starting to submit, you know, new protocols and things like that. So that's pretty exciting. So Christine? Uh, can I just say, Amber, that conference looked really awesome, but it's pretty wild to have a conference immediately after New Year's. I know. The timing <laughs> was like January 2nd. It's like, you better fly there oh. on New Year's. It's so weird, but I'm sure it was great. It looked like the topics were really awesome. Um, it's yeah. cheap. Yeah, it, I mean, it's, it, it's a pretty like it's important conference center. So maybe um, nothing too much new with me. Like this is kind of our first record post holidays. So uh, happy new year, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> but um yeah that really you know m like most of the country we had some pretty wild weather over the weekend over the long weekend we had some record cold in colorado and people think it gets cold here but it really doesn't get that cold um but we had you know minus 10 fahrenheit ish weather and so we had all kinds of issues in the buildings with like just not being able to handle, you know, freezing pipes, et cetera. So we mm. had a couple issues with like water sourcing, et cetera, over the weekend, which required my attention and like me bothering the facilities folks. But other than that, we were fine. I mean, redundancies are important and uh, mm. they did their job. So other than that, though, <laughs> it's just been staying inside and not leaving because the weather has been so miserable. <laughs> That's pretty much been it. How about you, Josh? Uh, yeah, I, let's see the past couple weekends. Yeah, you're right. I had the, I had the post vacation blues like Amber. I was like, why, why am I here? Yeah. Why is anyone here? <laughs> yeah. Um, but I, yeah, we got, he came back and one of the things that we did, which I really enjoyed was we had like an adult arts and crafts night at our house and we invited a bunch of friends over and we put like Bob Ross on the TV and we just had a lovely time with everyone. Like, <laughs> like we were just drawing and painting and like, yeah, it was, it was great. It was a great way to like ring in the new year, uh, post actual new year's Eve or something like that. Uh, so that was, that was wonderful. And yes, now we're just dealing with the cold here. So it's, it's sub 20 Fahrenheit, Oof. uh, over here in sunny New York. It's actually the first time we actually got snow since 2022, which what? is crazy. Oh, wow. Yeah. Wow. First time we've had any snow sticks since 2022. So Wild. because we've, we some, for some reason missed a lot of the snowstorms have missed us. They've gone like North or South weirdly. Um, or we've just, yeah, gotten rain when everyone else has gotten snow. So yeah, it's the city. Uh, yeah. Cause it's the same for us here too. Like we got like a massive amount of snow and we usually don't get that much just because yeah. yeah. It's just like, yeah, I guess it just gets colder. You're right. So hashtag city life. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, That's and how funny. about you, Ralph? Sorry, we we introduced you as Raphael Malbrew, Dr. Raphael Malbrew, but I know you do go, do you go by Ralph with everyone or? I, I go by uh, wherever what, the what wind blows. <laughs> wherever the wind blows. <laughs> okay. Ralph, Ralph, is, Ralph is just, Ralph is just fine. Uh, Raphael comes out when I'm in trouble. Okay. Uh, <laughs> so... Ralph is good. Ralph is right, cool. Good. What's what's going on with you, man? I'm I'm a little jealous. I didn't get invited to the arts and craft party here. Oh man! You know I'm I get my arts. I got a yeah, I'm ready. Up. I got a box, box of crafts. <laughs> okay. No, it's the same thing here. It's dealing with the cold weather, and uh, 
I guess, in, in the big boy job, being able to help mm. keep things going and making sure staff are, are okay and able to get into work or if they're not being able to stay home <laughs> safely. Um, so we, we had to get a little creative um, for some incentives and like hazardous pay things we started doing here. Talk about staff retention and, mm-hmm. and things. And we'll get into that a little later. Um, but yeah, that, that's it. And uh, juggling, I, I have, I'm a, I'm a young parent with young kids is what I always like to say. Mm-hmm. So I have an eight, eight month old and a, and an almost four year old, if you ask her. So <laughs> <laughs> pretty much is not sleeping <laughs> at this point. Oh, for a lot sure. Of fun, though. Yeah. Yeah. So that's me. Uh, I don't know if I ever officially congratulated on you, congratulated you on the second one, but congratulations. Uh, it it came fast. I appreciate it. <laughs> um, well, you know, I just, well, first of all, again, thank you for being here. I know you are a busy man. Uh, so it's amazing. You can come hang out with us for a little bit and chat, uh, especially about a subject that I think is so, uh, we all agree is so, so important uh, to our field. Uh, but before we get into the nitty gritty of that, I just you know want to talk a little bit about your background. So first of all, I'm trying to think when I met you, I- I'm pretty sure I met you at the National Association of Black Veterinarians Conference, right? Maybe the that's first right. one or second one or whatever. That, that's right. We were- okay. uh, we're hunting down speakers, and I think we had a mutual, mutual colleague, Dr. Robertson, Star yes. Robertson, and she's like, "I know this, I know this guy who can speak about anything, fish, aquatics, <laughs> sharks." <laughs> He's probably oh, at the boy. conference secretly. <laughs> like, right, let's get him. Let's bring, let's bring him in. And yeah, that's that was the uh, the entry of us, the you know, inception of us meeting. Absolutely, Columbus, and Ohio. Yes, in Columbus. Yeah, <laughs> Columbus. I really got my experience there. I think C-bus. I saw like a, I saw like a shooting, a mugging, and drug selling, like all in like two days. Yeah, yeah, um, that kind of sounds like Columbus. Getting the Columbus um, experience. Columbus. I know. I didn't even see any of that stuff in New York, and I've been here nine years. So, uh, yeah, I don't know. Not regularly. The, I don't know what was in the atmosphere that day, but man, there was a lot going on. Yeah, great conference though. Oh no, Col- it was a great conference. Um, I will say, uh, yeah, it was, it was awesome getting to meet you, uh, you know, immediately it's crazy. Like I, you know, I, you came and did a talk about, you know, for zebrafish on health monitoring a, a while back and, um, it was great. It was a webinar that we did for the ZHA and, you know, yeah, meeting you in person was so awesome. Cause you're very like welcoming, friendly presence. I was like, I was like, have I met this guy before? Do I know this guy already? Like, I felt like we were already friends. <laughs> <laughs> never. I've been told so, I've never met a stranger. That's, uh, yes. It's a Louisiana, me probably. Ah, okay. That's a, <laughs> yes. yeah, that's a southern boy. What about yep. you? Have you guys? You guys met Ralph at various times, I'm sure. Or so like... through you, Josh, at, at like the A last before this one, the the most recent okay. one. So yeah, that's yep. what I met. Yeah. Yep. And uh, I think aside from that, it was that the original, the first uh, ZHA webinar that you did, we had to upgrade our plan with Zoom because you <laughs> maxed us out. <laughs> We actually didn't know there was a limit to how many people could join. And then we were getting all these angry messages from people that were like, I can't get into the Zoom. Oh, my God. <laughs> so we didn't know. So after that, we're like, wow, he's so popular. We have to make a bigger Zoom. So, yeah, you broke all of our records. I don't, I don't know if it's popular. I was just talking about the hot topics. <laughs> Nobody wants to talk about <laughs> all the things we don't know anything about. We're like, uh, let's talk about yeah, that. Figure that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, figure no, out. We're, we're so glad you did because we like now we have like an upgraded version of Zoom. And like now we have like so much capability now. And yeah, like when we get, you know, big names in or big topics in, we can uh, accommodate nice. like a big influx of people, which is great. So, yeah, you had like I mean, you had like 145 people on the on the webinar you did today. So full disclosure, wow. like uh, so Ralph just did this webinar on something similar, basically on this topic you know, today. And so now we're kind of going to, we're going to retread some of those tires, but, um, you know, now we get to have some back and forth. About it. <laughs> no, bring, bring it on. Bring the heat. I mentioned to you, Josh, on the like discord the other day, I'm like, uh, this is the same day as the webinar. <laughs> Josh I didn't like, even know. Yeah. <laughs> I, uh, you can't see it behind me, but I have a, an espresso machine that is, uh, on standby at all times. Nice. That <laughs> <laughs> I'm highly caffeinated right now. So, so Ralph, I, do, I don't know about your history. I, I want to know a little bit about like, you know, just how, how you came to be who you are, right? Like, give me a little bit of just young Ralph. Let's start from the get-go. How did you find aquatics? When did you hear about that? When did you get into, so just start from childhood. Yeah, I think, <laughs> uh, you know, growing up, you know, from, like I said, from Louisiana, uh, Baton Rouge is my hometown. And we're, we're I mean, this poor, our poor state's just kind of underwater, if you know anything about Louisiana. Yeah. <laughs> So yeah. we just got to grow up 
you start out, come out the womb with your feet in water and swamps. <laughs> and it is just a part of the, the culture, you know, like seafood so important mm. as an industry and a part of just who we are, what we do, what we eat and our lifestyle. So I think that was kind of my early entry of just uh, deep roots with my with my family and parents. And uh, my mom in particular is a seafood lover. Mm. Um, she can eat. If anybody knows anything about crawfish, <laughs> my God, yeah. she can eat like probably about 30 pounds herself. It's, it's impressive. And in a, in a fantastic cook but you know I, I was i was fortunate that i did have uh you know parents in my life who were very involved and saw an early age that i had this interest in animals mm-hmm. both my mom and my dad um and um this is actually i might be dating myself during the time of like writing letters so my, my parents <laughs> actually helped me write letters to all the veterinarians in the area like locally wow and uh one only one responded a guy by the name of dr ct Ravy, and mm-hmm. he is a legend in our state um, if anybody's ever heard of his name, <laughs> listening to this, he he was actually the second veterinarian, uh, African-American veterinarian to, to practice in the state of Louisiana. The guy's been doing it for oh, a long goodness. time. And I don't know if I caught him on the wrong day, but when I first got introduced <laughs> to him, he was like, he was a small animal practitioner. <laughs> he said, hey, cats and dogs, you know, the typical thing people think a vet does. He's like, you don't want to do this, man. He's like, I don't know if he was burnt out or he got bit that day. He's like, you <laughs> He's like, you need to be a pathologist or a lab animal vet and go into research. He's like, you don't want to do this. And I, and I still, I worked with him for a while and, you know, doing most, most people who are young and want to be a vet, clean kennels, right? Clean dog poop. That's how you start off and cat poop. The cats, we don't, we don't discriminate against a feline friends. <laughs> um, but it, yeah, that, that experience uh, was kind of what opened the door. I think just a veterinary medicine and all the things encompassed in it. And really just with Dr. Raby um, and having parents who were just like, yeah, we'll take you. We'll go anywhere, extern little camps and things. And uh, Dr. Raby introduced me to a, a gentleman by the name of Dr. E. Jenny Daniels, who is a lab animal vet. He still is to this day, works at the University of North, uh, North Texas Health and Science Center. And I spent an entire summer during high school with, with this guy and his family, like this random kid living <laughs> with, he had two kids of his own, his wife. They were actually both veterinarians. They were originally from Louisiana. And Dr. Raby was a mentor of his. But he was a lab animal vet. He's like, I think he should really, he's like, I was being serious. Like, you don't want to do this. You should you should explore other avenues in lab animal. And that's where it took off for me of just getting into research. Like in, in high school, seeing lab animal. And that summer I worked as a husbandry. I was working in cage wash. Mm. I was just changing cages. I mean, it was a, but I, I loved it, enjoyed it. And I got to do a little research along the way. And I think that's where really how I got into lab animal. And it just, it just took off from there of just the interest. And I mean, before I was applying to vet school, I was like, I want to be a lab animal vet. You know, I was an undergrad, kept the same same interest, same energy, got to vet school. I was like one of four people in my class. Like, I still want to do lab animal. I was committed. And, and then, um, and just having that, that again, interest in aquatics, again, I think just being Louisiana, I like to fish and just be, <laughs> being out on the water. Yeah. And, um, but I think from a more serious standpoint of, uh, like career wise, getting involved with the aquatics as a, as a veterinarian, really even residency first jobs I took and, and onward, it kind of like the aquatics always was one of the things I think they would just give to the new, the new person coming in. <laughs> and just naturally from that, I was like, yeah, I just want to learn whatever. I, I ended up learning just a ton by just trial by fire, just being involved and being open-minded to saying, Hey, I'll, yeah, I'll do the fish mm. or I'll do, do the frogs. And it, it's just really taken, taken off from there. And and that's, you know, and, and honestly just having <laughs> that Dr. Raby that having that bad day to be like, you know what, you should, you should explore this. Cause I, I I think I did, I did want to do actually some of the other clinical specialties. I wasn't even thinking about lab animal at the time. So I went home, my own practice, do cats and dogs. And really, if it wasn't for meeting him again, having parents who were super supportive and like, there really weren't animal lovers to begin with and be like, you know yeah. what, you like this. So we're going to support you. And again, just being very fortunate to meet the right people at the right time. I think that's how I've, I've ended up on this pathway. And again, just being open-minded, like, you know what? Yeah, I'll take, I'll, I'll treat the zebra fish. I'll hang out with them. <laughs> and and so, so here we are, man. Um, I was going to ask you, so d- d- were you the type of kid to bring home like creepy crawlies and like bug your parents out? Cause we do love goofing about that stuff. Like give oh, us man. an example. Yeah. I, uh, I mean, at one time I think I had like a pet rabbit, a hermit crab, definitely had multiple beta fish and goldfish. Yeah. I, they, I didn't know what I was doing. So they kept dying. We just kept buying them. Which is awful. <laughs> not a, not, no way. I went way too much. Now I look back on those days and I was like, man, I, I really sucked as a, as an animal owner, as an aquarist, <laughs> I was terrible at that early age. I had a guinea pig. I mean, it's not like one time I had all these animals. They're like, man, I mean, my parents, tough, because they were, like I said, they were really not animal people. And they were like, you know, they're dealing with that. I mean, we had a hamster, a hamster to be pregnant. 
We thought it was a boy, it was a Fred. And it was more like a Alfreda than a Fred. It'd be even, I mean, it was chaos. And I was oh yeah. And I would bring all kind of worms and all kind of things. And I really, I never got the snake, but attempted to bring some snakes home. Here, okay, there. there's still that, time, man. There's still was, time. That was the, that was a big no growing up, and my wife is also probably saying no <laughs> to that as well. So, at this point in life, I have do kids count as pets? Are they? Yeah, yeah, yeah they're okay. pets. Right. Yep. <laughs> they're a little aquatic. They take baths, so they swim a little bit. You know, we got to say goodbye <laughs> to some of our listeners. Have a good one. <laughs> right. No, no, um, we have a dog now. That's it. A little Chihuahua. I think you know. I think that. You know, we've talked about this before, like we appreciated our parents, like, quote unquote, putting up with our nonsense with that stuff, because it did foster this like curiosity that led us into science. And I don't think that without my mom being okay with me bringing home stuff or sometimes not okay. Like the time we brought home, brought home a black widow spider, she was like, I want that out the house right now. Yeah, that's a brave, brave man. We were aware that it was dangerous, but we were just like, we had it in a jar. We were like, check this out. We've seen it in books. And my mom was like, you go walk down the street. But no, I think like those are so important. So like, I commend your parents for that, obviously. And it, it's like man, you down yeah. this cool path. Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. Cause it wasn't, you know, it wasn't like a, was like the super cool thing to just be that be that kid that's so into animals right it wasn't like i was sports i thought i was good at sports i wasn't really good <laughs> at all so I had, to, I had to have a different path they're like look you know you're not going to the nfl ralph you wait too bad <laughs> so pick, pick, pick another career so i, I might have missed it did you say how like kind of how old you were when you started having a, you said you were like how how old were you when you started having interactions with these veterinarians that was I actually met Dr. Raby in middle school and it wow. progressed until, yeah. So it was, I mean, I was probably almost in the yeah fifth grade at the time. I'm thinking wow. about it. I'm showing my age now too. Am I having trouble thinking about the past? <laughs> yeah. I was like fifth around fifth grade when I first met uh, Dr. Raby. I mean, that was just, again, true testament to my folks being recognizing my interest and saying, Hey, even though we're not interested, we're going to support that and try to find somebody who knows how to make this happen and just see if it's what you really want to do. And, and and I think though, um, in my path, having mentors and folks like Dr. Rabies, like Dr. Daniels, that had vested so much in me, and they didn't know they didn't know me, but I guess they they knew higher higher callings and the just the significance of in, of, of investing in people. Um, you know, I think that's where I kind of have this kind of uh, just pas- passion and, and soft spot for for my own employees and 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 see it see it a little differently i think of how we should treat them and advocating for them because i know for a fact i would not be here if i a, didn't have parents <laughs> that were so supportive and b didn't have these mentors that took time out of their day to just say you know i'm going to talk to this guy i'm going to show him and you know and and it just sparked i mean they, the rest just naturally um took took place from that just somebody giving me a chance so uh but yeah, it was early on. I know it's not the case. I think most veterinarians will tell you, though. We, yeah, wow. we always we before we can spell veterinarian, we knew we, we wanted to have some kind of <laughs> yeah. career with animals. It's just I really think it's a calling, man. It's just something that's in us that because it's not like we're out here making millions of dollars. Yeah, so. exactly. <laughs> it's, it's definitely, that's I'm making millions of dollars. I should just right, say. Right, I, should I should just say the wrong right thing. <laughs> so, so Ralph, did you? So you kind of knew you wanted to be a veterinarian, like going into undergrad. You kind of knew that this is a trajectory you're going on, right? That's right. Okay. Yeah. And so, yeah. like, where? So, where did you go to undergrad and, and and you know vet school? Just give us a little bit of synopsis. Yeah. So I I end up going to uh, again. Kudos, Dr. Raby. He was like, you, want to be a you need to go to Tuskegee. You need to go to Tuskegee. I mean, the guy is, and, he, and I'm not the only one. I mean, there's numerous of people who this guy has mentored and just yeah. helped that have gone to vet school, like, and finished <laughs> and done great things. <laughs> I'm one of just many. I'm, I'm very, I'm very low at the totem pole of his, 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 his prodigies. But yeah, he was like, you know, you want to be a veterinarian? You should go to, should look at Tuskegee. And I was like, man, what is, I, I mean, ashamed of myself at that time. I, I really didn't know that much about outside of like the mm-hmm. airmen you hear about tuskegee airmen but yeah. the history of tuskegee being the first i um, mean only uh, still to this day hbcu uh, historically mm-hmm. black college university with the veterinary school mm-hmm. um and history of just like dei initiatives in the field and man i went there for undergrad majoring in animal science and that experience was second to none um mm-hmm. of just i mean it was it was a beautiful i could talk about tuskegee for for hours and um <laughs> and then decided to stay a little longer and on for vet school. So I was definitely that old head. That was a guy that was walking around there for like seven, eight plus years. <laughs> <laughs> my friends, my, you know, everybody's like, you still interning? Are you still in school? Like what's going on here? Like <laughs> starting to second guess, 
my, my career choices, but um, but Tuskegee was unique. And some vet schools, some schools do have this, but they had what they call the three plus one program, which is really attractive. Oh, yeah. Three years undergrad, you skip that senior year, go straight to the vet program. At the end oh. of that first year, you get your undergraduate, you know, bachelor's in animal science, and you keep matriculating. So you save a year of time, save a year of fees <laughs> for tuition and so forth. So as well, it was kind of like, man, this is a it's definitely fast track and you know, kind of course load, but it was. It was a really good experience. I had a lot of support there. So uh, Tuskegee, man, just like all walks of life. It's, that school was so, so diverse and uh, it's, it's a little smaller. So it's a, it's very personable. Like my class size was about 70 that graduated uh, where it's like average size of vet school is now it's like 100 plus, you know, but some are like in 164 per mm. class. So very, very small um, and very intimate setting. But yep, yep. So vet school and undergrad both at Tuskegee and then um, decided to, I guess I didn't want to work just yet. So I went and did a residency for three years, went back home to Louisiana, to LSU. And that was a, a great experience as well. I had great mentorships there. Dr. Dr. Stout um, was our residency director. Dr. Baker was the, the AV of the program. And they were, again, another small kind of very intimate program, very hands-on. Mm. Um, they treat you almost like a clinical vet and you just hit the ground running. And that was a great experience. Uh, and then got my first big boy job and went to Ohio State, uh, mm. the, the Ohio State. Like trademark, uh, trademark We're down. sorry. Yeah, <laughs> right. I'm sorry to all the Michigan fans on the call, um, even though they should be cheering right now. But that, and again, that was a, a fantastic experience as well because of the support I got there and the uh, the opportunity to do so many different things. And really, there is where I really got a lot of support and where they fostered me to say, hey, this guy likes aquatics. We just take it and run with it. Mm-hmm. And I got to do a lot there with helping with the program. And, um, and so spent about three years or so there at Ohio state and then got opportunity to go to nationwide children's hospital. So mm. a little bit different setting, but that was, it's kind of a sister institution to the Ohio state university still in Columbus and, uh, helped a lot with the, the aquatics. And, and that's where I met uh, Logan, Logan Fahrenbach, who I know Josh, you know, and, and Christine, you all know yeah. very well. Hi, well. Logan. He's very, Maybe hey, he's Logan. Okay. He's listening <laughs> to this. Shout, shout out to Logan. That's, that's my guy. And, and we just, Again, that was another kind of building that aquatics program and SOP. I learned so much from from my staff. And I think, honestly, too, that's where I really got in, engaged and like charged up to support staff of just deep conversations I had with, with Logan, be fully transparent about mm. that and recognizing the power of different roles we're in. Um, you know, and, and Logan being like, you know, look, like, look, Rob, I got, I need some more money, man. Like, help me out. <laughs> yeah. He didn't say it like that, but. We were just looking at the program as a whole, and that was just, you know, numerous topics of having, like I talked about earlier today, of having these honest conversations with your staff, of just really listening to them. And then, uh, so it was at Nationwide for about three years and moved up the ranks there to an associate director level, started looking at more spreadsheets, and then uh, got the call from UVA to great opportunity to come up here and kind of continue to to do that in, a, in more of an attending veterinary administrative role. But mm. it's, it's been a great opportunity and everywhere along the way. There's, the, there's, a, there's a lot of aquatics here, actually, and being able to kind of start we a lot of our our facilities are PI managed, and mm-hmm. we just started. I opened a our, our own kind of lab animal core facility. That's we're having PIs come into now. So we were kind of building that from the ground up, like literally a room that used to be our mouse room, gutting that, building getting racks built to put in training staff. So it's been, and and we we are now today have fish on that system and, and a quarantine. Nice. We we also <laughs> kind of <laughs> refurbished another animal room and turned to a quarantine off site as well. So. Uh, mm. It's been a quite the quite the journey to get to this point, but uh, along the way, I've had a lot. Of, I think I've just been very fortunate to have a lot of staff that don't mind speaking up. <laughs> that's <laughs> that's, that's a, important, yeah. right? Yeah. Like yeah. as a as a leader, you want people to feel like they can approach you. I mean, I don't know I, I, if you guys have any other questions or, or thoughts about that. Feel feel free. I know I've been talking a lot. <laughs> oh no, it's it's actually really fascinating to hear, and it's it's cool to hear how other facilities run and like things that maybe you're trying to change, and that's a whole challenge in and of itself too. So definitely, yeah, yeah. We uh, I mean, they hired a, a PI large zebrafish colony and mm. that was kind of some of the deals is that we would manage the colony and there's some other users that caught wind of that and want to come in here so it was hey um, my, my predecessor did a lot of a good bit of the groundwork and then passed the baton he's like, i'm retiring here you go <laughs> <laughs> shout out to dr feldman he's listening to that too he's he's a great great guy he's been a great resource since i've been here but yeah we were i mean that is also if any if anybody on this call has ever had to build an aquatic facility it is a it is quite a, a bit of work of just from the design to install to getting your filtration system in. And then it's like, okay, now we got to staff this thing and yep. do it well. <laughs> 
and get rotifers in and get your rotifer cultures going. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, they're going to crash and burn. Yeah. Um, so, oh, no, hopefully not. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, they're, they're, actually, doing, they're actually doing great. Um, Good. And I'm glad. I think that's where relationships are important. So we actually brought in um, a consultant. We actually brought in Logan to come in as a consultant, partnering with Nationwide Children's to help us. And he came in for a week and trained our main kind of aquatics mm. technician um, over that period. And that was, I think, a really smart thing we did. But the power of relationships and being able to dip back and work with people you've worked with in the past was kind of a special moment to see that uh, come together. Yeah. So that's awesome. Like I and you know, I, I'm excited to get into, you know, the topic of, I know we keep kind of teasing the cop, top of cons, <laughs> constant. <laughs> oh boy. Compensation. There we go. I got it. Con- condensation. Condensation, <laughs> condescension, whatever it is. So yeah, what I was going to ask you is like, so you're, I don't know how kind of how big your aquatics program is, but like, I was curious, A, what's your day-to-day like? And B, what is your program like? Like how big is the facility, you know, tanks, racks, personnel, things like that. So if you could speak to those things. Yep. So we, um, the colony that we are managing, um, it is comprised of about nine racks. It is an Owaki system. Um, they are standalone systems. And in addition mm-hmm. to that, we have just one mm. uh, single rack. It's aquanearing that's off in another another one of our vivariums. Um, currently now, we really have invested a lot in our aquatic technical specialists. That's the that's what we call our, our aquatic technicians. It is 100% focused on aquatics. Mm. He's, our, he's our main guy. But to start that up, because we were... John had never done anything thing like this before. That's why we brought in consultants, Dr. Our other clinical veterinarian who's here, Dr. Collins, who's got a great, she's got way more aquatic experience than I do. She did her master's uh, working in a zebrafish lab um, oh. during her residency. We served as a backup, like actually helping John to rotate on the weekend. So talk about that Ser- servant leadership and putting your hell yeah, <laughs> putting your money where your mouth is uh, while we were kind of building this, this thing. Um, and John's probably listening. Is probably hate it when I work because the rotifers always seem to crash, or the <laughs> the, the, the colonies that the populations kind of numbers kind of went down. But uh, I'm sorry, John, if you're listening to this. But but so we have a, a sole person. But I kind of mentioned it today. We've created this uh, what we call um, as it continues to grow and just looking at the budget of unique ways to not kill the budget, but invest in people and help get some help for John as we hire another full time aquatics person to help with all this. Mm. It's this aquatic assistant status. Um, which is any animal caregiver, they just have to have an interest in in aquatics and have a good track record as an employee. Obviously, we'll train them on how to do everything, but they're going to help John. They have to work at least like one day a week where they go in there and they're helping with feeding, just the basics, the basics. While John does a lot of the kind of big picture management of the facility, um, Mm -hmm. if you will. And so that's something I think that is a lot of people who are maybe like, I don't want to do this full time. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but is it consistent enough going in there at least once a week so they actually still know what they're doing and get enough experience? I think that is something that is uh, going to help us in the long run until we can hire another a second person. So uh, mm-hmm. we're we're still we're 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 not at full capacity for our racks just yet, but it will. We just moved a ton of tanks in our quarantine that will move um, into the main facility. So we have a closed colony for our main facility. Used to quarantine for things coming in, adult fish, everything's bred, and then disinfected embryos, and then they move into our our, our main facility. We are trying to make it an SBF uh, facility nice. for at least the three big the three big pat as much as we can. I'm sure Michael will get in there at some point, but and John right now mainly is husbandry, pretty much after day five. He is starting to do some breeding, but after day five, we put him on a system. Then we take over. The lab mm-hmm. is really responsible for the breeding, propagation, okay. and setting up their pairs, but. But John is, um, you know, he's got a lot of interest in that. And I think for his growth, we're, we're going to be working with the lab to get him training to do some of that and injecting um, for the, as we, as we build his team and, and um, you know, you said you build it, build it, they will come. That's definitely happening. We just got a request to take over the Xenopis colony for another, <laughs> oh, another researcher. So that, we're trying to figure that out now. And, yeah. So <laughs> anybody listening to this, if you're looking for a job, we probably be hiring it here pretty soon. <laughs> I'm going to start Blue sending Ridge people Mountains. your way. <laughs> Blue <Ridge> Mountains. <laughs> so yeah, do you like, fun. That's like, do you like that? So I, it's interesting that you mentioned that. So when I was at Janelia, which is also in Virginia, um, you know, we had sort of a specialized staff situation where we went from just being basic husbandry staff that just did the breeding to all the way to we were doing the crossing and injections mm-hmm. and all that stuff. Is that something that you would ideally want to work towards where you're like have a, you know, kind of a full service? I think I think it's extremely valuable um, mm-hmm. for 
the employee. Um, and I, mm. and I think, I think long-term for this, right. I think like, I don't expect all my employees to stay here a hundred for their forever, nor sure. do I want them to, I want them to come here, learn some skills, move on to the next best thing. If they stay with mm-hmm. us, perfect. If we have those opportunities, but I think that's just one thing that can build an, an employee, especially in aquatics to learn that kind of skill set to, mm-hmm. to do a variety of things. Um, and I think it helps them also appreciate the struggles that researchers go, go through. Mm-hmm. So understanding on the lab animal side, but understand the researcher side of the challenges they, they go through. So they're more empathetic when we work with them. And, you know, if you are one of those groups that does the hundred percent lab animal care, husbandry, just, um, it's just another service that, you, and as, as a AV, it's another service you can charge for. So it helps from a, <laughs> yeah. from a budget st- standpoint, um, from, from that. So, and, you know, we ensuring things are done right. So I think it, it, it does take a while to get there, I know. So that's why we started with the basics first with John, and then we will build that up as we build the staff. But I think it's, that's a lot of value in that. I think researchers love that because as we've been having issues hiring people, so are labs. I mean, that's what mm-hmm. common thing I hear is, can your team do this? Or we say, like, we can learn how to do it. They're like, <laughs> they're all ears for, because usually it's cheaper, it's dependable, and it help, it's just one less thing they have to, to try to find and feel with all the struggles that researchers go through with funding and stuff, man. So, sure. yeah. So this is, you've, you've kind of like taken the, you've been the standard bearer more recently for compensation and staffing in this field. So why is this, why is this important to talk about? It, I think it all goes into uh, just overall health and well-being for, for people who work in lab animal medicine. Obviously mm-hmm. we're, we're not, we're not immune to any of the, the normal challenges of just having a job. Um, I think yeah. with lab animal, it presents even more unique challenges that, it, that have a heavy impact on staff. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, and I think even post post COVID world, right. I mean, we're, are we really post we, that that's to be determined, <laughs> yeah. um, but yeah. outside of work, people are dealing with a lot of things and the easier we can make their life at work. I think that just overall, that just helped, that really helps people out and it sends the right message. And, um, whether we want to admit or not money, money, money matters, like mm. having a little bit more money in your pocket to pay that bill or, or yeah. be able to get that gift or that birthday party is coming up or be able to take that trip so you can get away and relax all those things take money but i think one thing we're trying to do here as well is we're working with hr to to help with financial literacy as well so it's one thing to pay staff more but also helping them to know how to save and learn about the benefits that they're awarded to them is is a really important um Mm. kind of component to that so i think that's why i mean it's i think it's so critical because it whether we want to admit it or not, I mean, it, it, it really matters. And if your staff feel like they can earn a, a decent wage to where they can do the normal things that every human should have to them in life, you know, I, I think most people realize like they're not, they're not, I don't think they're asking to be millionaires. I'm sure some would like it. I mean, I like it, but, <laughs> but I think they just want to be paid a, paid a fair wage. And it, it does take a lot of work to continue to evaluate what does that mean and look like in your respective state, country, whatever it is, it's a, that has to be an ongoing question and process of cost accounting and looking at the numbers and talking to staff. It, it's not like you just do it. You said it. All right, we're done. We're done. Let's just set this rate. They go up. Like, I think every year you got to look at what's going on in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, and what can we do for our staff to, to help them out and continue to echo that. But it's, it's, it is challenging and it takes a lot of work <laughs> from, I think people that sit in my seat in addition to all the other things I'm sure people have going on. So but it is important from, I think from a, we want to be serious about mental well-being. Yeah. You know, I mean, I, hey people. I think, um, you know, we talked when we had Chris Lawrence on some, some months ago, we talked a lot about like information silos and stuff like that and how, yep. you know, we have these little, we had these little silos and then the zebrafish community started talking to each other more and how that was so beneficial. And I know that there is differences in cost of living between states. Yep. Uh, that is just an obvious thing. But I think that, you know, with this uh, discussion, right, and and this kind of will lead us into why you created the survey and some of the thing, discussion that you've kind of fostered and fomented going forward. Like, I think that having those conversations kind of gets us on the same page. Cause like at the end of the day, yes, we want mental well-being, but that's wrapped up in retention, right? Like yep. if someone is having a really hard time mentally, like they may not stay at the job or they may be really toxic in the job. Like there are a lot of things that kind of come along with that. And I know we've all seen it. I'm seeing everyone nod their heads because <laughs> yeah. it's true, right? Like yeah. we all know yeah. I can think in my mind, even people who who I loved working with at one point or I loved them as a person who just became a certain way because the environment wasn't right. And and if there was yeah. something we could do to change that, I think uh, it would have made things a lot better for not only retention, but for the environment. Burnout so. is very real. 
Like mm-hmm. it's a real yeah. problem. So yeah, they'll turn the most enthusiastic person into a jaded husk of themselves. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And and nobody's immune from it. Um, I think at some point, I think we just have to realize at some point, everybody's going to feel a little bit of a taste of burnout, compassion, fatigue. Like that is mm-hmm. <laughs> nobody. I don't care how. Yeah, I, How I call you think it, you are. <laughs> I always say that I'm feeling crispy. <laughs> I like that. I like that. I'm gonna start using that. Yeah. That's a really cute way to say it. Like, yeah. I'm feeling crispy. I'm a little crispy right now. <laughs> it's a very PG way to say. Yeah, to yeah say. I like it. <laughs> but no, I, yeah, and and I think too, like you know, I, I definitely am always an advocate for the money side of it. But I, I think you all hit on a, a big important piece about the climate, and there's a lot mm. of things that we can do in a workplace that don't cost any money <laughs> to change the culture change. I think that that always seems to be the big thing we talk about when it comes to, to these things, but it, there's so many other things you can do to, to just show people you, you, you care about them. I mean, like we, we, I'll give you an example. Like we, Thanksgiving came up, right. And the, the holidays here in the States. Right. Um, mm. And we were like, man, what can we, we don't just want to get gift cards and we don't want to just, get a t-shirt or a hat for everybody mm-hmm. as a gift. What can we, you know, times are hard, man. And food is expensive. So we got everybody turkeys. Nice. Even if, oh, even nice. if they, and we're like, you don't eat turkey, you don't eat meat, you can donate it <laughs> to, to, to the food. You know, so cool. just like this, it really didn't, we worked out a deal with one of the local grocery stores. It really wasn't as expensive as we thought, but I had a lot of people reach out to like, man, I fed my household with that. Like that helped. That was one less thing I had to buy. Mm-hmm. You know, and we were still able to celebrate as a family, come together and celebrate whatever holiday we're celebrating during that time period. That meant a lot to them that, you know, you think about it, it's like that helps. <laughs> that really helps them, their mental well-being as well um, and their and their family. So I think thinking outside of the box, that's just one example, right? The, mm. I mean, it was like the turkey just like cured cancer or anything like that. But it, <laughs> but, it, but, it, but it got me thinking of like, man, what are other things we can do that are just not all about more pay that we can do to show people we care about them and you know, getting creative with time, leave time and people mm-hmm, coming mm-hmm. in late, flexible schedules, you know, mm-hmm. things like that. So I think thinking outside the box and looking beyond the money too, it's, it's just as important. Yeah. You this. got a great point, right? Like not being a stickler for every small thing like that. Mm-hmm. I love the idea of flexible leave and, and, you know, kind of like uh, uh, coming and leaving times, because I think that that's like something that like a lot of universities are very strict about it. And I, and yeah. I kind of get it sometimes because it's nice to be able to be like, all right, you all came in at seven, y'all came at 6.50, you came at 7.15. So it's like, you know, now you can, yeah. it's a little bit easier to not have to like look at the schedule all the time. But I do think like having that flexibility makes you feel like, oh, like the higher ups aren't just like breathing down my neck about every small minutia yeah. and it like leads to just a better overall mentality. Yeah, yeah. and I feel like it's, to me, oh, so this is my own feeling about it, like how I feel compared to mm. previous roles that I've been in. It, I feel like my employer is treating me like I'm an adult and that they trust mm. my ability and like the fact that they feel confident in my that I'm a responsible employee and that I am doing my job, you know. And yeah. so the the I've seen it at other places where like people they nickel and dime their staff down to like yeah. every single moment of their lives. And I I don't like, it's like, we're not children. Please don't treat us like that. And there is a a back and forth there, right? Like you may have employees that you do have to like really watch because the minute you turn your back, they are gone. I have dealt with people like that. And, um, but at the same time, it's like, there's a give and take there. And so, yeah, it's, uh, I find that there's nothing worse for me as an employee than to be treated like I am an irresponsible teenager that is going to like just sit around and do nothing at my job all day. Um, yeah. So that makes a big yeah. difference in just like me having ownership of my own role. So. Yeah. And I think oftentimes we forget, especially working with animals, that people come first, especially when there's like an emergency situation. It's just like if, you know, we try to do the best we can, but you know, people come first. And I think in this regard, it's also, you know, the same because we want people to be able to like do their jobs and we want them to be physically well and also like mentally well. And especially with, you know, recently with like the weather a couple of days ago, it was like negative 30 degrees here. And they were just kind of like, we got to put another plan in place, you know, have a skeleton crew and they also let people go home early so that they were they weren't exposed, um, you know, yeah. to the outdoors. And so I think having things like that is like really helpful because like it's not worth, you know, risking your health. Yeah. You know, like we do want to do the best we can for these animals. But at the end of the day, we also got to protect ourselves. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
I feel like back in Canada, it was like a badge of honor. If if the weather was really bad, (laughs) everyone's coming in and maybe you'll die or get, hey, it'll take four hours to come in, but you better do it because this is like, you're not a Canadian if you don't. So. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's, yeah, I think we just got to, we got to continue to look at people as people, you know, let, let people be human a little bit, you know, let a human human every now and then. (laughs) I think we got to take a stand, but not numbers and. Yeah, let's take a step back. Like, what are we really doing here? And I, I, I kind of talked a little bit about it our at the the presentation today. But you know, we put animal welfare and animal care so high, which rightfully mm-hmm. we should, right? These animals mm-hmm. that sign up for this, mm-hmm. yes. but the people care has to be, if not there, just a little bit we higher. Can do both. Yeah, <laughs> we you can have do to both. do both to get to get this. And, and um, I think just kind of going back to those basics, um, principles, you know. So yeah, like you know, you're talking about the survey now. So tell us a little bit about the survey. Maybe like a little bit about like what you asked and then so what were your kind of your key takeaways? And I know, I know it's, there's so much more, right? Like you can only make the survey so big and so long. And like, I would love to see even more data, but at the same time, it's, it gets daunting, right? So yeah. yeah, So if you could speak to that. (laughs) Yeah. I think the whole idea really behind it was to continue to get, spark the conversation um, and to help. I mean, selfishly, it was me when I was, a private prior institution work with HR and they want to see all these metrics and they're like, you know, what do we pay the aquatic folks? And the ALAS survey doesn't include really anything about aquatic technicians. Yes. So then at that point, we're just kind of guessing up numbers based on, mm-hmm. I, I don't know. I don't know where they're getting the numbers from actually. So we're like, let's put something together. That's a little more organized just to start the conversation and help leaders, whomever in these roles having these conversations to advocate, at least get some numbers. But I think we also knew it could it, could, it came out today. This could also do some damage to know that these are just a start. Mm-hmm. They're maybe not best practices, but we're just collecting information to make people aware at this point to continue the conversation. So we ask things about what is your your current salary? Um, do you have levels like promotion um, a capabilities to be able to move up? What are those upward mobility? You know, how many racks do you have? How many animals? What type of aquatic species? And then we were really interested. You know, the common question is like, well, how many, how many techs per racks or tanks do I need? You know, that magic number, which really mm. I think we all know doesn't really exist. There's so many variables with that, but <laughs> yeah, at least getting absolutely. some kind of just getting some kind of metrics to look at. So that was interesting to kind of look at that data, but be very careful that say again, these aren't. We're not saying these are best practice. We're saying <laughs> these are just the numbers as they are to start the conversation to see it, does this really work and start, you know, start maybe some, some follow-up surveying from there. Um, and then we ask a lot of questions just about, you know, are you happy with your pay? Do you think you make enough? And, you know, what would make you happier in your job? <laughs> Things like that for, for folks that are working with aquatic species. And then also looking at like, what are you, what are the, what are the aquatic technicians doing? Is it mm. just aquatic stuff? Or are you also taking care of the pigs, the mice, the monkeys? Are you just doing husbandry or also you doing some of this research activities like injecting animals or doing taking a more ownership responsibility like breeding and propagation uh, for for labs just to kind of see what what are people doing? It's like you said, Josh, start talking amongst each other, collect that mm-hmm. data and share that information. And and then naturally, our, our hope is that it it does the more conversation or man, this is wow. This is what we're doing. Is this right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, and starting to listen more to the staff who are doing doing these jobs. They're like, I know we're saying you know, every one, you know, one, one employee, every 650 tanks is kind of what we found. Is that really the best practice? <laughs> that kind mm-hmm. of sounds like a lot to me, to me, right? You know, and that even if it does work out on paper with some formula, truly is that the best way to do this? When we think about all the other factors of being able to take time off, it came up today about like emergency on call. So when you have all these mm-hmm. other things that come in, how do you factor that into the, the magic number? So that was the whole goal of it. Some of the questions we ask and, and, you know, we want to create like a white paper, work with ZHA, hopefully next 90 days. That was the goal we, we set out to try to <laughs> try to put something together. And, um, and we yeah. think we'll just continue to build. And it was really coming from, you know, we, had, I think we had originally talked to ALAS a little bit about including it. And I think they, they want to, but they were already working on the survey questions have been determined, working with a consultant group. So we're like, can we just do it ourselves? And I don't think anybody care. <laughs> They're like, yeah, mm-hmm. happily, happily go for it. So we just kind of put, something together as best we could to start start the conversation. It's not the end. So mm. I think it's very, very early stages. As we found, we had a lot of questions and I it had me thinking a lot of ways of other things to add for next phase two um, of this. Absolutely. So. It'd be so interesting to see like, yeah, like the almost like a, a XY axis of like, you know, for instance, like job happiness versus like 
the number of positions and possibilities to move up. You know, I'm just thinking about like, even in my own, you know, university now where it's like, you know, you start out as an animal care tech and then like the only possible like sort of step up you can take is really just like if, if one of the like lead tech people leave, which is like very rare and it's only one per building. So it's like, yeah, if you're, if you're, if there's 10 of you waiting for like one person to quit, who's the lead, you know, it's just, you don't see that very much. And so like, I think that having some levels of like, you know, you start at a tech one and then you can graduate to a tech two. If you do like, you know, the, a couple of your tests, you know, like ALAS certifications or whatever, like having some method of something to work towards kind of helps people. And then also it puts the onus a little bit more on them. I'm not trying to blame people, but it like, it puts the onus a little bit more on you to be like, all right, like I want to show, I want to be more of a star in my group. So like, what can I do to do that? Like I can show, show some tangible things that I can bring to my next review and be like, voila, here you go. Like I deserve to be compensated more. And there's really no argument against it, you know? Right. So, right. Yeah. Roadmap. You got to have a roadmap for people to, to create these opportunities, but then also educate and help them like show them like, what is that? How do I get there? Have something to work towards. I, I think, you know, even we did our own internal survey of like, what are those three, what are those top three things that would make you perform better in your job? And it was obviously more money, more paid pay time off, not just time off. And then a yeah. promotion, you know, being upward mobility. And, and if you, I mean, it shows if you give that to people, um, they, they'll, they'll stick around for some time, you know, that'll help you with your retention, retention issues. And, and we've, I've seen this at a couple places I've worked at that it, it really, it really does help long-term. Um, I did see in your survey, like there was one, it was like paid time off. And like one of them was unpaid time off. And like, it was either zero or like four people like <laughs> said yes, like as opposed to like, you know, 20, 30 people for the other ones or like <laughs> even more. Yeah, like who's going to click that? Who's, oh, we had to like put I it in, we like, just being thorough. But no, yeah. I thought it was really thorough, but I just thought it was funny. Someone be like, I would love to have unpaid time off. Just like leave for a month. I mean, hey, I guess someone wants to, someone's got it like that. They just want to leave for a yeah. month with no pay. Their, as long as their job's there when they come back, whatever. Yeah. 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 <laughs> That'd be tempting, I guess. I don't know how you're going to pay for things, but... That's for that special employee who burns through their PTO and it's like, you know, I still need a break. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Cool. So that's awesome. I mean, I, you know, I I can't wait to, you know, see more more of the results and and I'm sure, yeah, when it does become a white paper and we can see it uh, kind of written out, I think that would be awesome. Also to give you a chance to play with the data a little bit more. Um, Yeah. So what 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 do you think are some best ways that you found to advocate for either pay increases or or staff uh, to get more specialized pay? I mean, you talked about it a little bit, but if you could just kind yeah. of go into that a little bit more. I think, um, I mean, you got to formalize a plan and you need mm-hmm. to talk to the staff first and just mm-hmm. hear their concerns, hear their challenges and really learn, learn the program, see, see where all the, the pitfalls are. And then I think you obviously whoever's in a role that can advocate, um, Got to kind of figure out who do I need to talk to? Who, who who's who's the who's the person with the checkbook? Who's the person that can hit the magic button to approve whatever you're trying to get done? Make sure you have a good relationship, routinely meeting with them, and get them down in the facility. Um, obviously, usually those individuals are extremely busy. Mm-hmm. Um, so <laughs> you got to be strategic though to get, but you got to get them down there. Be persistent to see the needs, and sh- and you might stage it a little bit when they're walking around. Have somebody struggling feeding a bunch of tanks <laughs> so i'm finding everywhere. a water hose that's just spraying yeah flood you may i mean let it just be the raw authentic like this is what we're dealing with like it Put is on hand hand braces hand braces like, wrist, like wrist. <laughs> exactly finding a sling you know I, I think that that at least really sparks a conversation when they can see a plan this is what we're asking for this is why this is what it's going to mm. cost i mean really spoon feed <laughs> those individuals to where they can't really say no, it just makes sense. Or if they don't, mm. maybe they say no now, but at least they, you have their attention to say, okay, we're going to work on a plan. Maybe in the next two years, we can look at some way to move some money around. Maybe we need to increase per diems to accommodate this and mm-hmm. um, work as a whole to, to accommodate the need. But that has been the most, I think, successful way to, to, to advocate and really, and really see things come to fruition. Um, I think everywhere I've worked, we've brought down the IO or whomever is that vice mm. president of research to come mm-hmm. come look at this. I like all our facilities, not even just the aquatics continue to advocate and that 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 really ha- has made a difference. And then we also tell Mike, look, we 
we might get shut down if we don't fix this or <laughs> like it was really understand alex said yeah. that you know you um, know that's a really yeah. good point right like that's a really good like tangible thing to be like look we need help and like these are the outcomes because i do mm-hmm. think and i think honestly this has happened like worldwide with a bunch of not just like lab animal it's like you see it in like airlines right it's like mm-hmm. they figured out how to do it with like a skeleton crew yeah because of covid and then they're like wow look at our bottom line it's so good like we and then they're just like let's just hang on to that right and you're like well yeah but like let's go like i understand what you're saying but like let's not make this experience the freaking worst right <laughs> and like and like and when you bear that out into like lab animal it's like yeah let's not make a situation where people are so burnt out because it's only you know you're working every other weekend yeah and you're yeah. having to rush around to get everything done so that inspection's okay right like that you're gonna make mistakes or yeah. worse your technicians are gonna start cutting corners and like you're not gonna know right mm-hmm. yeah so like, yeah. or maybe you do know, maybe you do end up knowing, but like that can happen for sure. And so you want to make sure that you're kind of like supporting all of that. So I think I commend you for, for putting that work in. I think that's important. So. Yeah. It's a, I think, I think you also got to know it's going to be a lot of work <laughs> too. <Yeah. laughs> whoever's, whoever's doing it, it will be a lot of work added on to the 20,000 things you probably have to do, but it, it is important. Um, yeah. And you just got to know your environment as well. When I say that it's also like, what are the challenges, you know, if you're in, North Dakota, you know, population naturally is not as high as like New York, New York City. So when it comes to staffing, you're going to have to get creative and yeah. know what you're up against. Like you got to be you guys got to be honest with yourself. You know, we're yeah. you know, Charlottesville UVA is not in a it's, a it's a really cool city. Come check it out. Um, I'm not getting paid at all by the city tourism <laughs> committee for that. at all. I mean, it's beautiful Facts. out here, but it's not like we just have thousands of people living here. So, um, you know, we have a lot of employees at them I mean, they live 50 plus miles outside of the, the city that are commuting mm-hmm. in. So uh, talk about flexibility with work time schedules. I mean, that's we, I think we had to take a step back. It's like we want to hire people and keep them. We got to be we got to know what we're working with with mm-hmm. here and and, yeah. and and mold to that and accommodate ourselves, be accommodating. So that that's I think that's part of it, too. You look at retention programs. <laughs> you got to be real. With yourself. Yeah. You may not be able to do what we're doing here in New York City or. Yeah. Or Montana or North Dakota. No, no, no offense to North Dakota at all. I don't feel like just picking on North Dakota. <laughs> well, I, I mean, even for us in Colorado, trying to find aquatic specialists in this state, uh, Colorado has a very strangely large number of scuba divers. Like per, ca- <laughs> per capita, there's more people that are certified scuba divers here for some reason. <laughs> trying to find like, aquatic specialists, like we really lucked out and found a couple folks that had taken that Oregon Coastal College program oh, and wow. like yep. they're yep. the best employee ever, you know? And, uh, but, you know, they just happen to still live in Colorado when they finish school. And it was like, well, come work for me. <laughs> so, but that's yeah. awesome. Yeah. yeah. See, those are the, those are those are little tips. I think that the beauty of ZHA now sharing all this information mm-hmm. of like mm-hmm. I'm taking notes now. Okay, what's that? What's that course again? I'm gonna look for that mm-hmm. on some CVs or advocate. <laughs> mm-hmm. Maybe you go take this take this course too. But I think some places too that have been. It's like you may not find that. So you then you also have to again self reflection and just be honest with yourself. Like we're probably not going to find anybody. So we need to just we got to kind of build a training program to get people and just accept that and, and just, just do it too. Mm. If you can't find people, okay, well, let me find a few able bodies who are just interested and want to grow with this and invest, take that investment. But Absolutely. that can be a hard road too. I think like a, a challenge that I've experienced a few times, and I don't know if you have any thoughts on this, but, and I think it's getting better, especially because we're like siloing less of our information. Now and we're actually sharing info for me. It was getting the lab animal departments on board with the fact that someone who's working in a fish room has a different set of skills and needs a different set of skills than someone who's doing rodent work. And I'm not trying to diminish the rodent work. It's a different skill set. There's an overlap for sure. But I personally have had issues and I've heard from colleagues who have issues where say an animal care department is looking after or the the aquatic facilities under their umbrella and they're just shuttling whomever through the spaces Thinking that, you know, one is equal to another and it, you know, it tends to build animosity with the researchers when things get missed or things aren't being done as optimally as they could be, you know, and, you know, cross training is great, especially in the case of emergency or having, you know, staff around and you like you had mentioned training folks part time that are willing or interested in learning. That's key. Yep. But square pegs, round hole, taking a rodent technician that has no interest in fish or frogs or whatever and being like, you got to do this job now. They're not necessarily going to do a great job because they hate doing the job. And so I I had that issue with like 
I was excited for about two weeks when I had to work with naked mole rats. After that, <laughs> I was like, no, I never want to do this again. Please do not oh. put me in that room. It was a torture chamber. I hated it. And oh, is it so, too hot? Is well, that it, was, why? it was too hot. And like, it like, smelled so yes, bad. Yeah, the smell yeah. Not the best. Oh, it was just, and it, but there was so many of them. And it was just like, Ugh, I, I didn't like it. I was like, you know what? The idea, I was so excited when we were getting these animals and then the colony got set up and I got working on weekends and I was mm. like, I'm going to pass out because I have to wear a full hazmat, whatever in this. We didn't have pappers at the time at a full suit in there. I'm going to pass out, hit my head and die in the room <laughs> on a Sunday morning. And they're going to find my skeletalized body because the mole rats will have eaten me uh, and I'm dead. <laughs> and I was just like, after a couple of weeks of that, I'm like, this is the worst. I, and I would uh, I just have to go in that room and be like, I never want to do this again. <laughs> and, you know, I, I can see people who don't care for non-mammals that have to go and do zebrafish work. And, you know, and I'm not saying I did a bad job with the mole rats, but I was not invested in that space. Yeah, you know, yeah. mm -hmm. um, I did what I was expected to do. And then I got the heck out of there, you know, and yeah. um, so I don't know. I just I, I'm hoping that we're seeing more and more where, you know, animal care departments who are taking increasingly zebrafish or other aquatic facilities under their umbrella and managing mm. these facilities, understanding that like you need to make sure you have the appropriate staff and that the resources that need to be allocated for these unique spaces are allocated and they're not just another ventilated rodent room. So, yeah. Yeah. My, Man, that's so well said. There's so many gems. <laughs> Sorry, so many I, gems I, in that. It's my like that's, soapbox. I get really mad about it. So many, so many gems in that. And I also learned what not to get you as a gift ever. Never yeah, get like no, a stuffed animal, naked mole rat. Naked mole rat. <laughs> Just get her a crocodile. She'll be so happy. Alligator. Exactly. Alligator. Alligator. You like alligators? I like, and not crocodiles? Crocodiles are fine. Alligators are adorable. So. Uh, that's, okay. that's, that's so cool. But uh, yeah, I... Yeah, one one of my arguments when I because I've have got pushback um, sometimes from higher up leadership where it's like, well, mm -hmm. how is this different from the rodent cages? You know, those animal caregivers are able to change so many cages mm -hmm. so quickly, you know, and they're able to do higher numbers. Like, how is that different from the? And so again, bringing them down and showing them a day, mm -hmm. this is the activities and showing like, hey, on a daily basis, they are really manipulating mess around with this system, the rack, way more than what you would see on on the rodent side on like individually mm -hmm. ventilated i mean the maintenance on that it's pretty routine right it's mainly mm -hmm. cage you're changing boom i mean things happen and sometimes you do have to roll sleeves up and work on blowers and things but for the rack and life support systems especially recirculating racks right we're talking about here mm -hmm. it's every day there's something you got to do on that on that bad mm -hmm. boy and then mm -hmm. also <laughs> don't forget about the fish like you still yeah. before you go yeah oh and don't forget about the food that we got to feed them because it's a it's a lie that we're feeding these yeah. juveniles. They actually like move and they actually need to be taken care of and fed as well. We got to feed the feed. Mm -hmm. And so when you break it down to that, they're like, okay, this makes sense. It's the same thing with like coming up with cost accounting for like per diems and things. It's, it's a little bit different mm -hmm. as well. And usually numbers help to keep things. You got a lot of fish that can help keep numbers down. But that that's the argument I'll use a lot of times is, uh, you know, about the life support system and the knowledge and, um, you know, being able to to just be able to show that. And, and the best method I've had success is just is literally come down and see it. And, and we stage a lot of things. Un unfortunately, I might be giving all my <laughs> secrets out, but if my boss is listening to this, this does go out to people. It was Ralph. real. <laughs> it, was, it was real. It was real. It was a real struggle. You saw it was a reenactment yeah, of a previous. A yeah. <laughs> what you're saying though is yeah, like not hiding the, the shortcomings of like, yeah, you know, I see what you're saying. Just like being honest, being honest yeah. about like, Hey, you know, we could not get all this stuff done today and we really wanted to or whatever mm -hmm. it is, right? Like, I, I'm with you on that. Yeah, <laughs> and, and recognizing that, like, the vice president of research, you know, may not be, might use animals, but they might use rodents and be an engineer mm -hmm. and have no clue. And maybe mm -hmm. I've never seen a zebrafish facility. So mm -hmm. when you're trying to explain to them about, you know, that's say aquanearing system, they're trying to rinse a particulate filter and it's water flying everywhere and it's floods because it's not, you know, you need a dishwasher because it's just, yeah. you know, you can't use certain detergents. They're like, wait, what are you, what are you talking about? Like, can't you just put in a cage wash? Can you put in a rack washer? Like, why is this taking up so much time? And, it's, mm -hmm. and then to see that. So you kind of do have to be strategic and do a lot of education. I think mm -hmm. a lot of for the aquatics, I mean, it's not just the zebrafish, but xenopus, I mean, you name it. It's just, it's so different. Um, yeah. But yeah, you, you, I mean, I can't stress it enough. You definitely need dedicated, my opinion, this is just, I'm just one man. I'm taking my UVA hat off. You definitely need dedicated <laughs> staff that are just doing aquatic 
job responsibility. If you're going to do it right and really invest and do a good job and really truly try to remove variables, so research is clean, mm-hmm. you need de- you need de- dedicated staff. Even if you have one rack, yeah. <laughs> like mm. one rack, a thousand racks, like you you need that designated staff. That's that's all what they're doing. If you're going to really kind of do it right, and you are managing that. That's just that's just me from experience. Mm-hmm. I think what you're saying, yeah, I think like you know, I think it's awesome that you're doing this, but it also like, it makes sense to me now. It's like, you have your own job. And then on top of that, you have to go and like, everything's running smoothly. And you already have a bunch of things you need to do that are just related to your attending veterinarian job. And then on top of that, you're going to have to go to the to institutional official or, or higher ups and, or vice president, president of research and go talk to them and like continually like hammer that like, you know, I beat that drum for like advocating for your staff. And I understand why that's like an extra job on top of your job and why it's hard for a lot of people to do it. Like I see why there's a barrier there. And I like, I don't think, I'm not saying that there should be, like, I think it's, I think it's important to do that. You know, if you want your program to run more smoothly on the back end, but I just think that's something that I'm keeping in mind now, even as I go forward to advocate for myself and for my staff and stuff like that, to be like, oh yeah, like this is the reason why it sometimes stops here. And like, I have to have a lot of good ideas or a lot of tangible numbers or whatever it is to like send yeah. up and, and advocate to like push through that barrier of the higher ups to get to the people who are making the decision and then actually convince them, you know, yeah. that's tough, not easy. Got to speak the language. And sometimes you have, you know, you might have 10 minutes. <laughs> you yeah. have, yeah. I mean, those meetings sometimes are 30 minutes that you might have. That's it. And the first yeah. 10 minutes are just, hey, how was your weekend? You catching up. And then you got like literally like 10, 15 minutes to say, hey, I need like half a million dollars. Can you can you hook us up? <laughs> <laughs> Let's slide that in there. But, yeah. Yeah. The cage washing machine. Yeah. It's broke. We need to replace it. Uh, that's, that's about 300 grand. Yeah. Like, I need a dishwasher that costs like $13,000. You're like, yeah. what kind of dishwasher are you buying? <laughs> like, this is like, well, it's not that kind of, it's not, it's a special dishwasher. It's a uh, million, you know, like. <laughs> I'm where, that's where I'm at right now, begging for one of those. but it's a game changer if you get it so learning how to like how do i convey this how life-changing this will be for the staff sometimes Mm -hmm. it it is it is challenging when i'm fortunate our io is an animal user so he's he speaks the language like he's got Mm. his own lab right now um you know but not everybody has that luxury where it might be somebody who's a i don't know english professor or something you know there's Mm -hmm. a research because they're working with all things research you know clinical preclinical animal human subjects (laughs) they they usually have a lot of things under their umbrella that they oversee as a vice Mm -hmm. president of research or whoever's the institutional official um so again learning their language and learning how to communicate that 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 can take time itself to unfortunately sometimes you try to try to read people and know what they want to see to make decisions Mm. once you learn that then it gets a little easier i think in these kind of roles but it's a it, it can't be a challenge. So yeah. So give your give your directors a break. Give your AVs. <laughs> cut on some slack sometimes because a lot of times we probably hear no more often than we hear yes. Sure. Um, yes. And, it, and to get that yes, sometimes I mean it is hours of work they may have put into a a five slot set deck, you know, to, yeah. to pitch a point. Um. So a lot of coffee wow. and and yeah, you a lot of times I'm for some of this work it's after hours. It's I'm at home, you know, put the kids to bed. It's, all right, let me work on this this advocacy PowerPoint, you know, like from, from my boss or pull out some quotes or reach out to colleagues, pod, pull some things together, you know, after I've done everything else. Um, mm-hmm. And I think a lot of directors, AVs feel like that, but, but I think we all know that going into these type of jobs, like it's serving, you gotta be a little, maybe a little off to, to go, to go into these roles sometimes. <laughs> because, I mean, it's servant leadership, man. It's a service job. It's all about we're, we're, we're directors, but really we're just here to listen and, and try to figure out solutions for, for our people. And, where we're just kind of like the in the middle of all this. So I don't, I don't like the, the whole top down mentality. It's like, I'm just a guy that's, I get in trouble, things go wrong. I'm in the middle trying to, trying to connect the dots here. Like I work, I work for my team, not the other way around. So I think that's the mindset a lot of us have. And, and why we don't mind staying up late or getting up early and adjusting things to, to do these. But yeah, mm-hmm. but, it, but good for you, Josh, for, I'm going to, we're going to document this in history and, and employee who recognizes what, <laughs> what we go through at times to, <laughs> To, to get that $13,000 to buy a, a dishwasher. <laughs> it's funny. I'm pretty sure that I'm doing, I'm doing a presentation on zebrafish for um, our IO cook, like maybe next month or something. And I know the IO is going to be there. I'm about to throw some things in there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's a, man, that's a great, that's a great segue uh, just to show how, yeah. how unique they are and the level of care. I mean, I think when you just, just the rotifers themselves, like explaining or, you know, Brian, for whatever you're doing, 
just a level of care it takes to keep those things alive, like how meticulous yeah. you have to be. And then once you mm -hmm. do it, like we, we just started a residency program and for our, our poor future oh. resident, we're, we're going through recruitment process stuff now. Whoever that is, I'm sorry, but you they will be <laughs> doing rotation to, in a zebrafish facility and a lot of things like working in cage wash because they need to they need yeah. to develop that level of empathy. Because mm -hmm. at some point, someday they'll be in my shoes. And I think that's the only way to, you, you got to be, you got to have, have done it and really understand the, uh, the level of suck sometimes <laughs> that comes with some of these positions, you know? Uh, so, yep. Yep. Um, any final thoughts from you guys? I think we're, we're, we're good to wrap up now, but thank you, uh, Dr. Malbrew for coming and, and joining us and talking about this. You're, you're welcome. The, the, the D in doctor stands for debt. So I forget that. So. so I think that's where a lot of our at least recent graduates of veterinary programs and residencies are very empathetic because we have our own financial challenges as well. But uh, but now it's been a pleasure, and I appreciate you guys uh, having me on and and doing this, having this podcast. Great platform. Thank you. Great platform. I, I'm super thankful to have somebody like you that's advocating for the little guys. Folks who are doing down hey. in the fish mines every day, doing the fish mine work. <laughs> I'm still a, I'm still a little guy, man. I, yeah. I got to this, I got to this field as a little guy, man. I said my first introduction, I was working in cage wash. Mm -hmm. My first little lab animal internship, I was in cage wash, man, scraping poop, mouse poop, rat poop, free shrew poop, all that kind of fun stuff. So, heck yeah, for sure. Yep. Uh, yeah, yeah. So, thank you so much for joining us. Shall we wrap up? We will wrap up. All right. And well, thank you again, Dr. Malbrew. Thanks for listening to Getting Fishy with it. You can find our website with show notes at gettingfishypod.substack.com. You can find us on Twitter at gettingfishypod and on Instagram at gettingfishypod. You can also find us on Facebook and LinkedIn by searching for Getting Fishy with it. If you want to drop us an email, you can send your complaints, questions, or adulations to gettingfishypod at gmail.com. Thank you so much for listening. Our theme music is Best Time by Fast Sounds, and our audio is edited by our empress of editing, Amber Park Giadini. We've been getting fishy with it. So keep schooling, my friends, because knowledge is power.